thank you for what you have accomplished on that cross for God and for us. I thank you that through your finished work we are one people under God for all who believe. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your church is here. Your church is here where you are witnessed to, where you are honored and where you are uh, worshipped. <clears throat> I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have had the opportunity to remember you. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you, Neil, for leading us through such a poignant point in time and point of remembrance this morning. Even every, each year on this Remembrance Sunday, especially in the Commonwealth Nations, there will be many services like this for those who've given their lives in the field of war to protect the freedoms that we value today. And giving on what's going on in the world around us, we, um, <clears throat> in the world around us at present, these services I think are even more poignant. Let us mourn deeply for the loss of lives, <coughs> the loss of life wherever it occurs. Let us pray for God to intervene into these desperate situations, causing terrible loss of life on all sides. Let us also pray for our fellow Christians in many countries like Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Gaza, where there are brothers and sisters who are suffering. And let us pray that the glorious hope that is found alone in Jesus will be the experience of many today. As Neil says, now is the acceptable time. Let us also pray for peace in our own land that the stark divisions that are coming to light will ease and that the peace and hope that can only be found in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will be heard and responded to by many. Ephesians says in verse 14, Paul writes, for he, that is Jesus, is our peace. And he goes on to say, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create into himself one new man in place of the two. He's speaking about the Jews and Gentiles. So making peace and that might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, through Christ, through the cross rather. So it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ where peace can be found. Today, I wanted to pause and have a look at those um, and remember those who, sorry, pardon me. So the events that have gone on around us and these landmark moments that we have in our lives and in our national lives, urging us never to forget the horror of what happened in the years past and that we should never forget what happened so that it never happens again. And yet we live in an age where many are challenging us to forget the things and the events and the values and experiences of the past because they are deemed unimportant or even dangerous and must be thrown away. George Santayana wrote this, those who cannot remember the past 
are condemned to repeat it. I'll say that again. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It is this in our postmodern Christian, postmodern world, this post-Christian society that we live in, that is challenging us to change the values that our society and culture are built upon. And, and as such, they're under threat, and we live in a time of unprecedented change. Are we forgetting the lessons and the truths set down in the past? Are we condemned to repeat the same mistakes? Some change is incredibly positive. However, there are many changes that are incredibly challenging and damaging for Christians as we are constantly faced with the truths. Uh, um, and for Christians, we are constantly faced with the truths that are, are underpin our very faith being cast aside because we need to change and keep up with the times. Friends, I wanted to share a little bit today about why, what, where, where did the church start? And why is it so important that those truths that have gone before, that are timeless, that God has laid down, are so important to remember, to treasure, to celebrate and embrace? Friends, one of the most important things, if we can go to the next page, one of the most important and joyful things is in a Christian's life is to stand solely on the word of God. The holy scriptures that we have in our hands, these are our precious treasure because it's in them that we find the timeless truths that define our Christian faith and which are vital to our eternal and future and present life. If we go to the next page, Proverbs 22 says this, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Now, whilst this specifically refers to the demarcations of land ownership, and this is all found in Deuteronomy 19, if you wanted to look it up, but we can also apply this in our lives in a spiritual context as well. It's a clear instruction that certain things are vitally important to our day-to-day -day living and our future inheritance and must not be changed. All of us have significant moments in our lives, don't we? Landmark moments, those moments that are totally transformational. And so these moments are also true in our Christian faith, aren't they? These are the moments where these landmarks are set down and they define what the Christian faith is, what the church is, and the basis upon which the church stands. If we go to the next page. These are landmarks of our faith and these truths we must repeat, we must teach, we must proclaim and we must defend. Central to all of this is the cross of Jesus, isn't it? And so my prayer today is that we would allow the word of God to rest in our hearts and remind us that there are timeless truths of God that have been established. And these truths pertain to our eternal future and our spiritual inheritance and that will never change. And if we hold tightly to them, they will underpin the character of our lives now and assure us of our eternal future. So come and journey with, journey with me in one of the most momentous chapters of Scripture that's there in the New Testament. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2. 
book of Acts, chapter 2. I'm very conscious of time. I, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to refer to specific sections. So I'll leave it with you to read chapter 2 of Acts, chat about it at home, have a discussion with your friends, your family, your brothers, your sisters, your children. Have a chat with them. Read those verses and see what comes to life out of them. Because this is the very foundation of why we are here today. So the first section is in verse 1 through 4. One of the most momentous occasions in the New Testament era of the church. I'll, I'll read it now. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that is all the disciples, were together in one place. And that was in Jerusalem. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. At the end of Luke's Gospel, Jesus says in verse 24, um, sorry, not no, verse 24, um, in verse 49. At the end of Luke's gospel, and in chapter 1 of this book, what we see is we see Jesus, who had risen from the dead, which is a fundamental uh, truth in our Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is risen. We have a living Savior. That's a fundamental truth to our Christian life. That is one of those landmarks that we, we must trust in and proclaim. So at the end, of, the end of Luke's gospel, read it. Read it for yourself. Jesus is alive. He's, he, he manifested himself to all those disciples, to 500 different people. And then at the beginning of chapter 1, you get Jesus again, again, spending time with his disciples. And then what does he say? He says, friends, you are going to be clothed with power from on high. Wait there. Wait there. And you will receive it. And so this, in chapter 1, or rather in chapter 2, is that very moment when they were clothed with power from on high. And what is it? It is the Holy Spirit that comes directly from God himself. It comes from Jesus Christ himself. So in, as I said, in verse chapter 24 of Luke, because Luke also wrote Acts, for those who don't, 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 aren't familiar. So Luke's gospel that we've been going through, Luke is writing from eyewitness accounts. And then he writes the book of Acts. And he's there. He's in all these events. Luke is right there in the thick of things. It's just wonderful. But in verse 49 of, of Luke 24, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. You can see the truth of the Trinity coming through here. That God, who is manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all involved in the, in the birth of the church. So the Father, the Jesus Christ who is seated, which will come to, is seated at the right hand of God with authority from the Father. He sends the third person of the Godhead. He sends the Holy Spirit to be, fill them. And friends, that continues in the sense that the Holy Spirit is here. And as you trust in Christ, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. And it is the Holy Spirit who witnesses through you and I, through the church, to the glory of Christ. 
the one who we see, shall see in a few moments time, who is seated in the very presence of God, that is Jesus, the Lord incarnate. And it is this person, the Holy Spirit, who filled the hearts of the 120 who is there in, they're there in the upper room. And it is because this person, of this person, that the church of Christ is born. We sing that song sometimes, don't we? And the church of Christ was born. Hallelujah. It is because of this person, the Holy Spirit, that the church has become the vehicle through which the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed as a timeless Savior for, for all who should believe in him. Isn't that wonderful? This is a landmark milestone moment where we can remember, but we can also look forward. It is through this person that 12 men, the nucleus of that newly formed church, transformed the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because they were able to proclaim the good news of Jesus that transformed the world. And we are the beneficiaries of that. And we still proclaim it. We still proclaim it. And so we go on in the chapter. Then you get Peter, who a few chapters before in the Gospels, he was a bit, um, uh, he, he denied Jesus. <laughs> Just before Jesus died, Peter denied him. And then you get Peter standing up and his sermon at Pentecost. Oh my goodness, what a sermon. Now there's a little interesting note about Pentecost. If those who are, would like to, have a look at chapter 23 of Leviticus. Because it speaks about the feasts there. God's timing is never a mistake. Neil's referred to the fact that the Father holds the timing of when Christ will return. That will not be a mistake. That will not be by chance. God the Father's timing is perfect. But Leviticus, Leviticus 23 takes us through these feasts. And Jesus died at Passover. <coughs> Jesus gave up his life at Passover and was raised by the glory of the Father three days later. Then Jesus, at the, at the beginning of chapter 1 of Acts, he speaks about the 40 days. He spent 40 days with the disciples and then he ascended up into heaven. And then what happens? Ten days later, you get the Feast of Pentecost. 50 days, it's there in Leviticus 23. God's timing is never a mistake. It's perfect. He laid it all out before. These, these are wonderful things, so have, have a look. Deuteronomy 19, Leviticus 23, wonderful pieces of scripture. So what was the effect of that moment? So Simon Peter, who had denied Christ, but then was filled by the Holy Spirit on that day that we've just read about, stands up with the twelve. And what does he say? So in verse, and we'll go to the next page, uh, or rather this page here. So we're in verse 22. So verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. And he's speaking to the Jewish population that were there because they were in Jerusalem. They were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, or what is called the Feast of First Fruits. Basically, it's the wheat harvest. And they, they gave an offering of the wheat harvest to the Lord. That's the Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost. So he, he stands up, and, and the effect of the Holy Spirit coming is that suddenly, all of these disciples who were there, those 120 in the room, what were they doing? They were speaking to the all of the other people who were there who'd come from all sorts of different locations. Some from Judea, some from, um, from uh, uh, Galilee. But then it speaks about the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites. 
and, the, uh, and Judea and Pontus and Cappadocia, basically, and Phrygia and Pamphylia, all these parts of Egypt and Libya and, and, in Eastern, and Eastern Turkey, all these people were there and they all spoke different languages. And what happened? The disciples were given that gift to speak their language and then declare the mighty works of God to them in their own language. Now, my goodness, I would love to have the gift of being able to speak other languages. When I speak to my team in France, my goodness, they all speak English to me and I feel embarrassed that I can't speak much French back to them, for example. But here, the disciples were speaking about the mighty works of God, even far more important than work stuff. They were speaking in their own language the mighty works of God. They were speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he had done on the cross and what had just happened, that he ascended on the, on the 40th day and they'd witnessed it. They were eyewitnesses to it. And that's really important to remember as a landmark thing that these are eyewitnesses. He reminds them of those mighty works and wonders and miracles that Jesus had performed. You know, Luke, Luke chapter 8, we were looking at it in, in home group on Thursday evening. Luke chapter 8, just, just in that one chapter, what do you get? You get the calming of the sea. Jesus telling the seas and the storms to cease. You get the man with the demon who was healed. You get the woman with the flux of blood touching the hem of his garment and being healed of that. You get Jairus' daughter who had died being raised up again. All, 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 all just in like a handful of verses. These are the mighty works that this Jesus is who Peter is proclaiming. So in verse 22 to 24 of that chapter, we get Peter saying this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So that's one milestone. Jesus gave his life over to evil men who killed him on a cross. But also remember, Jesus gave up his life. Read those passages in the Gospels. Jesus had full authority over his life and he gave it up. John's Gospel in particular is very helpful in that. But then it goes on to say, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And he says this, God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. So you see, friends, this in the infancy of the church, it's this truth that Christ is risen, that Christ died, gave up his life for us, shed his precious blood on the cross for our sins but that he was raised up and that we have a living Lord that we put our faith and trust in. That is a landmark. That underpins the truth of why we're here today. That underpins the truth of why the church was formed so we could declare these glories until the end of time when Christ returns. Isn't this wonderful? David, David, David Gooding says in his commentary, not only were these signs of power, they had been great signs of greatness of love, mercy, the compassion of God, miracles of physical provision, rescue, healing, parables of the spiritual salvation as the savior of the world. Jesus offered to the people 
who could not save themselves by merely human powers. He offered them a way of salvation. That is what the church proclaims. That is why the Holy Spirit came. That is why we stand here today declaring these same truths that are thousands of years old because they are fresh every day. So this Jesus, who was born witness to by mighty works, he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. God, in that definite plan and the foreknowledge uh, before the world began, it was all planned. He sent his son to die. All of this was prophesied right from the beginning of Scripture. You know, right at Genesis. Genesis, you read in chapter 3, after the catastrophe of sin coming in, he then says, the serpent's head will be crushed. What does that mean? That means Jesus will defeat Satan. And he has done it because he's broken the power of Satan through the resurrection. Isn't that wonderful? And that's a landmark. The scripture says he was delivered up. <clears throat> Jesus himself gave himself up to those who hated him. The religious leaders of the day. They wanted to protect their own security and so on. But it was a mighty act of love and power that God raised him from the dead. God didn't just bring Jesus back through the back door. He abolished the door itself. Death is defeated. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yes, it is true that our loved ones do pass away. Yes, it is true that there is, is, is presently there is death in this world. People pass away. But it means that the eternal nature of that is gone. It means that there will be a resurrection in the coming day of those who believe and those who do not believe. There will be a resurrection. This is a truth that the church stands on. The death of Jesus put his accreditation beyond doubt. He used, God used it to teach us, teach not only Israel, but all of mankind this fundamental fact of the universe that death is not permanent, it is unbra not unbreakable, it is not unreversible. It's not the final disaster. It's not the final moment. The resurrection of Jesus has altered the face of the universe. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Where, O death, is your sting? <coughs> so it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is in Peter that is witnessing to the total transformation of the known universe. It's all founded on the word of God. The scriptures and the Holy Spirit are the sources of authority and they're necessary for effective witness. And so now we come to the next section, verse 33. Verse 33 says, this Jesus, 32, 33, says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. That's a really important point. That all the disciples were witnesses of the resurrection and also of the ascension of Jesus. Some might suggest that it's, it's folly, that it's a lie, but it is not. They were eyewitness accounts of this truth. Be in no doubt, the Lord Jesus has been exalted. So it goes on to say in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This, this, is, this, is, this all happened here at the beginning, the infancy of the church. 
to establish the truths on which we stand. In Ephesians, God, uh, Paul writes, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us and one's believing according to the working of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead, the power of God involved in that. And he seated him, and God seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenlies. Paul writes that in Ephesians, these rich words. So we can say that the person at God's right hand is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has been given a position of equal honor, power, and authority with God because he is God in himself. The fact that Christ is sitting is the fact, it refers to the fact that his work of his redemption, that work on the cross, was done once and for all. Some might suggest that that's not the case, that there is one sacrifice. Friends, do not be deceived. There is one sacrifice that is sufficient for all time, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus. His precious shed blood is the only sacrifice in which we can put our faith and trust in. Because it is certain and it's once and for all. The book of Hebrews tells us that. So then we see that God, God cannot abandon Christ to, to death and decay. He goes on to say this. These, these are all rich words. And, and what comes out of that is that there's moral certainty in the universe. It means that there is a single point of reference which we have for all things. And that is in the risen Christ who is at the right hand of God. The laws of the universe come from him. How does gravity work? It's because God put it there. How is it that you and I function as humans? It's because God created us. How is it that our bodies stay together and the atoms don't sort of dissipate? It's because the laws of the universe have been placed there by God. Because Christ is risen and didn't stay in the grave, there is moral certainty in the universe that there is a clear distinction between right and wrong, between good and evil. That's because Jesus Christ is there, because he defeated Satan. The, the moral universe is stable. This is another landmark that we can stand upon. And so, the Holy Spirit who has come. And again, in verse 32, we get Jesus raised up. We get the witnesses. And then he's exalted at the right hand of God. And then he received authority from the Father to, to release the third person of the, of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit release him to this earth to dwell in us as believers and in the church. The Holy Spirit is not some created force or higher power. That, the, uh, that a higher power could control. The Holy Spirit is an uncreated, divine person. He is one of what Christians call the Trinity. God is manifest in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's because the Lord Jesus, who is God, poured out the Holy Spirit from heaven that the whole house of Israel and we ourselves must know beyond all doubt that Jesus of Nazareth is not only the Messiah, but that he is the God incarnate. Verse 36, if we go on to that, where it says, let the whole house of Israel know therefore for certain that this that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
you know, it's all good and well to say this, oh, it's happened loads of time ago, it doesn't really matter. It's because Christ is glorified that we are here today. It is because Christ is glorified that we have certainty and hope for the future. It is because he is living and at the right hand of God, we know that he will return and become, be, be returned here as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this mess that the world is in will be put right because he will rule with justice and righteousness. That is the certainty we have. That is the person who's at the right hand of the Father, God himself. Christ is the Savior for sinners. And be assured the scripture teaches this, that we are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 tells us this. So what, the, the chapter then goes on. So you get Peter standing up and saying these wonderful words and powerful words that the church is founded on. So, so what do they do? So verse 37 goes on and it says, and they were cut to the heart. That's the, pe the list, people who are listening. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Does your heart feel challenged today? Does my heart feel challenged today? I've put my faith and trust in him, but my heart still feels challenged as to how am I honoring and glorifying him? Am I being faithful to him today? But then he says, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent. Turn from your sinful ways. Craig often reminds us of that. We can do that, not in our own power. The Holy Spirit will prompt you and convict your heart that you need Jesus in your life. And my goodness, do we do. We need him. He can cleanse you from all your sin. He can give you future hope because your future with him is certain because he is glorified. We will be with him forever. But then he goes on and says, repent and, 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 and what next? Be baptized. We, we saw this last week, didn't we? That wonderful opportunity we had to baptize three individuals. And my goodness, their testimonies were powerful. And we thank God for them. They have entered into the family of God. They have proven for themselves that Christ is glorified and is mighty and powerful and has overcome Satan. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the and, and forgiveness of sins. Now, this is interesting. We won't go into the doctrine of that, but it's interesting how he says that you put your faith, repent and be baptized, everyone in you, of, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Just think about this. The, the people who he was speaking to 50 days beforehand might have probably, more than likely, were probably in the square saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That's the power of this. He's saying, six weeks ago, you asked for the Lord of glory to be crucified, and he was. But he's now raised, and he's ready to forgive you. That's the power of this verse that Peter's speaking to. And then what happens? And many, with many other words, he witnesses to them. And then it says in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 souls a day? You know, may, maybe if one of you have, have, have given your heart to Christ today, now, and maybe you want to be baptized, you know what? I'm willing to stay on longer and maybe have a little bit of a delayed lunch. If you want to be baptized today, my goodness, we'll do it. My goodness, we will do it. 
But the first thing is put your faith and trust in Christ. Because he is willing and able and ready now to save. That's, that's the power of what the church is founded on. Is the work of Jesus. Friends, this is why we do church. This is why we do it. Because we're proclaiming the glory of the one who's done everything for us. So what about you? Will you put your faith and trust in him today? What are your milestones? What are your waymarks, if you like? We started the day with the remembrance, and it was so poignant. Remembrance of those who've given their lives. An interesting thing to think about, given their lives so that we have the freedom to worship, and for some, the freedom to protest. Interesting. But the most important thing is that we have the freedom to worship because others have laid down their lives. But most importantly, we have the freedom to worship because Christ died for us. Christ was raised by the glory of the Father for us. The Holy Spirit came from a glorified Christ for us so that we could worship him in fullness and in truth. These are the milestones that we stand on. This is why we do church. This is why we proclaim it week after week. This is why we have the scriptures in our hands. This is why we look at them every day. This is why we pray every day. I will be honest, that doesn't always happen in my own life and I feel the gap of it when I don't. And this is not being legal at all. It's just saying this is the health and life for us. So friends, <clears throat> can you, you can experience the freedom through the release of your sins today. So let us continually faithfully devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Let us embrace the poignancy and joy of breaking bread, which is what they say right at the end. What do they do? So they repented, they believed, and then what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship in verse 42. They get together with other Christians they feed off the word of God together. They pray together. They support each other. That's what church does. That's what God does in our lives. So let us, as we did last week, to the best of our ability, work with one another, disciple one another, support each other in our daily lives. But always remember, as the proverb tells us, never give up those ancient landmarks that our fathers have set. Let us cling to the truths of Scripture. Let us cling and earnestly hold to the, 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 the truths that are found in Scripture as to how and why the church was founded because it's on the work of Jesus. It's on the, in the person of Jesus. And as we finish, and I'll call the band up, as we finish, let us remain faithful until the Lord Jesus comes. It is this Jesus that Peter speaks about. It's that Jesus is going to return. I know I've said it before, read Zechariah 14. <laughs> he will return and he will stand on this earth as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And for those of us who trust in him, he will embrace us. He will take us to be with himself forever. Oh, I look forward to that. So let's praise and worship him as we finish. And then we'll break for coffee and tea and... Um, I have a few announcements to share afterwards, but let's worship the Lord now. May God bless this word.